Kia this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. So many questions remain unanswered after yesterday's multiple fatality shooting in central Auckland. Stuff's Auckland editor brings us up to date with what we know so far. It's also been a huge and historic week for Imogen's favourite feathered friend. We'll hear about some interesting developments in that area. We are also looking ahead to the big matches and the big narratives in this weekend's FIFA World Cup. And we're actually going to give... Fun fact Friday miss this week. It didn't quite feel right doing that today, but we'll be back into that segment next week. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Police are still trying to piece together the details after the shooting in Auckland's CBD that left three people dead, including the gunman, Matu Tangi Matua Reid. A number of people needed to be treated for injuries, including a police officer who was initially said to be in a serious condition, but that has now changed to stable. Now it is known Matu Tangi Matua Reid had been sentenced to home detention earlier this year after being convicted on domestic violence charges, but there is a lot that isn't known at this point in time. To bring us up to date, we're joined now by Stuff's Auckland editor, Simon Plum. Kia ora. Kia ora. Let's take a look first of all at what we do know about the offender. So on home detention for domestic violence charges, Stuff has obtained these court documents. What did they tell us about him? Essentially, those documents show that he has a record of domestic violence. And in that record, he had threatened a former partner by saying, you don't know what I'm capable of. So what we're starting to see from these court documents is the painting of quite a dark uh, figure and some who's not afraid to make some, some chilling remarks. Simon, what did the judge say to him at the time of sentencing, which of course was just a few months ago? He was described by a probation officer as being at low risk of re-offending against his former partner. However, he was deemed at being high risk of violent offending against others. Uh, The new documents that Stuff has obtained also reveal that he was previously required to go anger management treatment and that he believed he'd been misdiagnosed with a borderline personality disorder. The police are saying that uh, this was related to employment... So what do we know about his connection to that construction site? We have it from the police commissioner that they believe, as in the police, that it was connected to his employment. But we don't know specifically what motivated him to go in there with apparently a pump-action shotgun and open fire. We don't know a lot of things. One of them is about how he got this gun, right? Because he didn't have a a gun licence. That's right, yeah. So at the uh, press conference from police commissioner Andrew Costa confirmed that the man involved did not have a gun licence, but there's an obvious question there of how then did he get access to a pump-action shotgun? That in itself isn't a banned weapon, but it's very concerning that someone was walking around uh, downtown Auckland with a weapon of that calibre. Is it clear how many people were injured and the extent of injuries, particularly to the police officers, who I understand were, were actually shot? We're looking at three people dead, including the gunman, On top of that, there were six people injured, including a police officer. Those injuries uh, range from moderate to serious. However, we understand that police officer has actually stabilised. So fingers crossed there that um, everything goes well. Yeah, this is a horrifying story. And of course, uh, a lot more will come over the days and weeks ahead. Simon Plum, we really appreciate your time today. Cheers.
Remember, if you do want to get in touch with us, find us on Instagram or TikTok. Search for Newsable NZ, and you can always email us as well, newsable at stuff.co.nz. We thought this could be a good time to talk about some great news that came out of this week. Kākāpōr are back in the North Island. It's the first time Kākāpōr have called the North Island home in nearly four decades. A troop of four male chonkers were relocated from Whenua Hau near Stewart Island to a sanctuary near Cambridge. It's a pretty big deal, and here to chat a little bit more about this is Andrew Digby from the Department of Conservation's Kākāpōr recovery team. Welcome to the show. Kia ora, thank you. This is very, very exciting, uh, but why the big move? Because we have a problem, and actually it's quite a nice problem in that we've got too many kākāpō and not enough space for them. So we needed to free up some space on some of our breeding islands down in the south of New Zealand. And yeah, that's why we need to start a new population. And so Mangatautui is one of the places that we are looking at. Andrew, this is a staggeringly successful recovery programme. Like, Take us through the magnitude of, of Aotearoa's achievement here. Yeah, it is. It is a big achievement. The Kākāpō got down to a low of 51 individuals in the mid-90s and so now there's 248 Kākāpō so we've pretty much quadrupled since then and actually if you go back a little bit further in the 1970s we didn't actually know of any Kākāpō populations at all. People thought they were just on the brink of extinction so it is it is a big achievement but it's it's a long-running achievement and I think that's the success story mm. here is that this is not just a flash in the pan. This is decades and decades of sustained work by a lot of people. So it was four male kākāpō that did the big move. Uh, will we see more join them, perhaps some lady friends? Yeah, that's that's the ultimate goal. <laughs> and what would happen next is actually we, they might have some more male friends next. So we, we start oh. translocating male kākāpō to start off with. Um, they're a little bit bigger and able to look after themselves, a, bit, a little bit less vulnerable than the females, but also they're actually slightly less valuable. We look after our females a little <laughs> bit more. So we're starting off with four males. Chuck them up north. <laughs> and then we've got six more males who we've got lined up to join them. And that could well happen. We're hoping it will happen before the end of the year, but it all depends on what happens with these four. So we'll be keeping really close tabs on these on these four, see what happens. We'll check their condition. We'll probably catch them again in about a month's time. All being well, then quite soon, later this year, we hope to swell the population to 10 among Kathaltri. And then in the future, we'd look to add females, but it's going to take quite a few years before we would do that. We want to make sure that the males are doing well, that they're healthy. And then we're looking to start, mm. do they start breeding behaviour? Do the males start booming? Are they starting to get ready mm. for mates? And if that's the case, then they would start to look at putting females here. Tell us a, a bit about this this new sanctuary that they're in in Cambridge. Are people going to be able to visit them there? We can't get to see them. They're locked away on these offshore islands, and that's been a necessity because they've been so critically endangered, and they still are critically endangered. We you know we mustn't get ahead of ourselves. There's still a lot of work to do. But the beauty of this is that people can go into an environment where there are kakapo. Now I kind of I stress that. You're not going to see a kākāpō if you come to Mangatautri. Like, I've been two metres away from a kākāpō and I still haven't seen it. Um, like, they're very, mm. very difficult to, to see. They're camouflaged, they're nocturnal, you will not see them. But you'll be walking in the forest knowing that there are kākāpō there. Now, we understand the four chunky green good boys were flown uh, in New Zealand from Whenuahau to Cambridge. Were they put in first class? We They, they each had a seat to themselves. So we flew up Ooh. with them yesterday. So there was four of us flying up. And so they were on the plane with us yesterday. Um, and they got a bit of 
a bit of special treatment, I think. They got the announcement on the plane and the, the public were pretty cool, excited <laughs> to see them on the plane. So people sitting, you know, right next to a kakapo. And that's actually one of the uh, real privilege of these sort of experiences too, that, you know, we do fly the kakapo up and we were walking through the airport and then people would stop people randomly and people would say, you know, what's in that box? And you'd say, well, a kakapo, do you want to see it? Andrew Digby, thank you so much for joining us. What a delightful story to end the week on. No problem. Thanks for having me. We're going to crack on and chat about this weekend's pretty star-studded footy World Cup lineup in just a sec. But if you're enjoying what you're hearing, do chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps other people to find us. As we know, the opening match of the FIFA Women's World Cup still went ahead last night at Auckland's Eden Park. And one Emil Donovan went along to the match, didn't he? I did. Yeah. It was a bit throwback, actually, because uh, from there, from the mighty Eden Park, I did some on the ground. In the moment, Gonzo Sports reporting. Oh, my God. We are walking towards the stadium. Uh, Some fireworks just went off over here. The atmosphere here is electrifying. There are people in neon strobe lights. There are people in Christmas tinsel. They're directing us to places. People are shouting at us. It's exciting. There's lots of flags around, people in cool strips. They're checking my tickets now. I've got to go. Go, the football fans. We're going to win. Car front righto. It's halftime here at Eden Park. <laughs> I, uh, I told you I was just going to do a beginning in an end one, but um, no, we're doing a halftime one as well because New Zealand are totally dominating Norway. Uh, whether this will be the outcome at the end of the match, I don't know. We're running ourselves into the ground, but holy shit, what a half of football. Football fans absolutely riding roughshod over Norway in that first half. We were seated behind the Norway goal, and my goodness, it felt like 70% of the game was played right in front of us. Best seats in the house, got to say. Uh, at least hope they can keep it up for the second half. Go on, you footy ferns. Bring it home. Right, that was absolutely unbelievable. The atmosphere here is electric. New Zealand won. Norway nil. And we were good value for our victory as well. We absolutely dominated that match. We had most of the shots, we had most of the territory, most of the position. i got to say, I thought Norway was going to hand it to us. I was wrong. This uh, shows what I know about football. Absolutely nothing. A glorious victory to start off what hopefully will be a glorious tournament. One of the great sporting moments of my life, without a doubt. We're looking forward to the rest of it. I'm losing my voice now, so over and out. That was a fabulous investigation. Thank you so much for that detailed report. Wow, I've learned so much. But of course the action will continue this weekend. To give us a quick overview, our favourite footy head skies, Christina Eddy is here. Kia ora, Christina. Good morning. How good? Yeah, we are into the weekend action and it kicks off with the USA, the powerhouse of this tournament. They're on the charge to hopefully get a three-peat. You know, they've won the last two World Cups now, so they kick off their campaign against Vietnam, who are in the World Cup for the first time. They're debutantes. Could you imagine that? You're at your very first World Cup. Your country's never been before. And then you run out in front of these powerhouses USA that are just so professional. I, I, you know, it'll be an interesting match to watch. I really hope they can hold their own against them. Yeah, it almost seems a bit unfair, really. So that game's on. Is there another one that people should be keeping an eye out for? So that's a good one at Eden Park, actually, if you're if you're keen to get down. Otherwise, watch it on Sky Sport. But there is actually a really good one I'm looking forward to in Hamilton. And it's my second team in the tournament, Zambia, because it's a beautiful country I've been and they're just incredible people. Um, but they have had a very impressive run to this World Cup. I actually wouldn't be surprised if they're kind of the Morocco of the the Qatar men's FIFA World Cup, you know, the ones that just 
kind of outshine and just show everyone that they're a force to be reckoned with. Um, they actually beat Germany 3-2 in the lead up to this campaign and they also drew with Switzerland. So that's two massive teams for a country like Zambia um, who don't have a lot of football experience. So that's another one on Saturday. Mm. If you're in the Tron, if you're in Hamilton and you have a ticket, that'll be a really cool one to be at. Um, they're taking on Japan, actually. So they could. I, I actually think they might even get the win over them, and that would be a very cool atmosphere down there, especially because Zambia fans go so crazy. And then, of course, there's Sunday. We've got a good match with Sweden v South Africa and Wellington. And the Netherlands kick off their campaign against Portugal and Dunners, if you're in Dunedin. So, yeah, lots of action. England's playing as well. I think, Christina, um, it, it, they're an interesting one for this World Cup, aren't they? Really strong side, but injury depleted. Exactly. I mean, they had their uh, amazing European Cup win over Norway last year, the one we played last night. So, I mean, they, they beat them, they humiliated them, in fact, mm. 8-0. And then ever since then, they've just kind of been on this injury slide. But there is actually still quite of a lot of expectation on their shoulders. And they take on Haiti first up, so it's not a tough match for them. You'd expect them to um, to beat them and start off their campaign with a strong start. So you reckon there could be some surprise results this weekend? Yeah, I do. It's kind of their opening it's opening round, you know, the, the first group stages, so to speak. Um, and, there's, you know, I have to say, New Zealand has the pick of the bunch, really, with these teams. We are so lucky because we've got, I mean, in, the, in one weekend, I've only really, apart from the England game, spoken about what's happening here in New Zealand. We have the Netherlands, we've got Sweden, we've got USA, Zambia, my team, all massive powerhouses, apart from Zambia, but the others kicking off their campaign um, this weekend in New Zealand. So that's pretty impressive. We've definitely got the best teams here on our home turf. We get you on this program for your uh, deep reservoirs of football knowledge, but also your deep reservoirs of football watching knowledge. And so we are curious, what is your favourite football watching snack? Use your imagination here. (laughs) Oh, someone even asked me this the other day and I had to say, is it Snack-a-Changi or Whack-a-Changi? I can't get my hair around it. Snack-a-Changi. Thank you. Someone's going to get chips. Or maybe a little bit of uh, sweet and salty kettle corn popcorn. Oh, I see you. I, I like see that. you. I see you. Christina Eddy, thank you so much for your time. As always, we'll speak to you soon as well. You can watch all 64 FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 matches on Sky, remember, and you can also, of course, stream them on Sky Sport now. And this weekend, Stuff is launching a dedicated tournament hub online. We'll be streaming 26 games live, and there's all the on- and off-field action and drama as well, so get amongst. It's going to be interesting, this World Cup, because I'm not really used to watching football at, like, normal person hours. No. Because uh, I think you were the same. Like, we, we both follow English Premier League football, yeah. and so we're more used to getting up at Sparrow's Fart to to watch games, desperately trying to not wake the other people in our households. Or not checking your phone or any internet-connected device if you wake up not at 2 or 1 o'clock in the morning and instead wake up at 6 to watch uh, whatever match is taken over. Does that affect the kinds of food that you associate with watching football? 100%, because watching football to me means a ham and cheese croissant. Exactly, (laughs) Strong, powerful <laughs> breakfast skew, eh? Like, don't know if that's quite what I want to take along with me to next week's matches that I'm going to. <laughs> I remember really well um, the 2018 World Cup final. I um, I woke up early, obviously, and and so I made myself this incredible omelette. Mm. So I had like capsicums, Yum. onion, Great. ham, yeah. tomatoes, yeah. Uh, probably half a block of tasty cheese, nice. four eggs, cool. toast, Whoa. dripping in butter. Whoa. And um, so that's become my like go-to match day food now. But like you say, I don't think they would let me bring that into the stadium. <laughs> no, I think, I think you would get stopped. So yes, it will be an interesting journey for us 
to discover at the end of this football World Cup season what our regular viewing hour football snack would be. Now, of course, usually at this time on a Friday, it would be um, Fun Fact Friday time, but we, we just didn't feel like it was quite right this week. So yeah, give it a miss. Uh, make sure you keep an ear out for Saturday's episode. But I think for now, that's newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thanks very much for listening. It's been a pretty heavy week. So we hope that you're taking care of yourself and the people around you. Uh, like I said, look out for our special episodes over the weekend. And we'll catch you Monday.